Well, how amazing was that? We're so blessed. Thank you, Lord. Thank you so much, guys, for coming to minister. Well, we're about to get into the Word of God. I hope you're expectant. I hope you're ready. Would you please give me a uh, help me give our Pastor Adam uh, a warm welcome as he comes to bring the Word this morning. Why don't you come up? Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Kia ora tato, everyone, and Morena. How are you going this morning? You well? Man, that was a, a beautiful item. Thank you so much to everyone involved in blessing us in that way. Uh, I'm so excited to be here in our Mandurewa campus. My name is uh, Adam Frost. As Tali said, uh, most people call me Frosty. It's not because I'm pasty white. I know you're probably thinking that. Uh, my surname is Frost. It's quite simple. I am from our Papakura campus, just on the other side of the motorway, still part of South Auckland. But I know even as I say that, you're like, no, 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 we are South Auckland. <laughs> I submit, you are the real South Auckland. We're just that other part that kind of claims it, but it is amazing to be here. Man, I tell you, I've, I've, Papakura is my home. I've spoken in a bunch of different churches and I've never felt more at home being in another location than I have here this morning. Phenomenal. Your warm welcome, your hospitality. I mean, Jake even got me a coffee, which is amazing to see Jake doing some work on a Sunday morning. And it was good. Everything about the service has just been so beautiful. I just want to honor Dave. You're doing such an amazing job leading the worship team. Anointed, beautiful, powerful. Really blessed me. And Erin, your voice is out the gate beautiful. It is, and, and it's not like, okay, cool, it's a gift, but the person behind the gift is just as beautiful. It's just amazing to see someone glorifying God with a skill that they not only have, but one that they've mastered. And it was just beautiful. It was, it was a real gift to me this morning um, as you ministered to me. So thank you for doing that. And I wish I could be an MC like Tali, who MCs and then sings. If I tried to do that, there would be division in the church. We'd, I don't know who would be worshiping at that point, but... Um, it's amazing to be here. I love with all of my heart your pastors, Don and Haley. They are phenomenal. They are really good friends to my wife, Darcy, and I, and it's, a, it's my joy to be here. Actually, my first time here on a Sunday morning in the mighty Manurewa campus. I remember I've been one other time. I think it was a 5 or a 6. might have been a 7 p.m. Can't remember the time. Back in the Weymouth days. Is anyone here from back in Weymouth days? You guys are legends. Honor you for your... Faithful commitment, um, that was yeah, way back, and so it's just a real joy to be here this morning to share from the Word of God. Who's hungry for the Word? You guys ready? Okay, shall we pray? And now we're going to jump into it this morning. Father God, we thank you that your power and your presence are here in the room. What an honor to come and just to share of your Word, and I pray, Lord, that I would decrease, you would increase, and that the Word would achieve the purpose for which it is sent out, to bring hope, to bring life, to bring restoration. We believe for you to speak this morning in Jesus' name. And I pray, Lord, that as we submit ourselves to the truth of your word, God, may we be transformed. May we be molded. We declare that you are the potter and we are the clay. And today we come with open hearts and open minds and say, God, have your way. As Tali shared, Lord, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We commit ourselves to your word this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. I noticed that your pulpit's a little shorter same pulpit, a little shorter than our one in Papakura. And I just wondered if you got a little shorter one because Don's a little bit shorter. I just, I wasn't sure. I wasn't sure if you ordered like a slightly lower one. Don't, we're not, we'll, we'll do the 11 a.m. for the podcast. We won't include that in there. No, I, I really, I love them. So let's jump into the word. Now, it's pretty common that we want, when we want to look to heroes of the Christian faith, 
we look to those that have made a name for themselves. It's, it's, a, it's our natural inclination, right? There are kings, military leaders, prophets, other extraordinary people who are found within the pages of the Bible. We read stories of their heroic deeds, their profound faith, and their inspiring journeys. And we might find ourselves reading Hebrews chapter 11, where we learn of Abel, Enoch, Noah, and Abraham. And there's no questioning that even with all of their flaws, all of their mistakes, all of their shortcomings, they still lived lives that inspire our faith. In fact, the subheading in my Bible lists that passage of Scripture as examples in faith. In other words, be like these guys, follow their lead, look to them as an example. And while all of that is fine, I don't believe for one moment that the big picture story of God would have us looking at just a handful of inspiring people. In fact, we can find inspiration and learn incredible lessons from a lot of people in the Bible, many of which are not named. Those that are not considered admirable by the world standards. It's those that never sought recognition or fame, but that were just ordinary people living extraordinary lives, much like you and I. I mean, most people in this room won't become household names. Jake might, but the rest of us normal people are just ordinary people, right? And yet God is just as interested in using us for incredible purposes. When you think of man landing on the moon in 1969, who do you think of? You might have I'm not sure if you're alive back then. I certainly wasn't. But you might think of Neil Armstrong. You might think of his companion, Buzz Aldrin. Sure, amazing astronauts. But do you realize that one of the most instrumental groups of people that allowed that mission to be successful was a group of women? They were nicknamed the human computers. And they would perform complex mathematical equations by hand. And without them, we simply would not have landed on the moon back in 1969. You know, many of these women were African-American women. And so, unfortunately, at that time, they were never going to be promoted to higher positions of recognition. In fact, they were so good that many of the men started to distrust their real computers because they believed the human computers were even better. There's an amazing movie about it uh, called Hidden Figures. You can go check it out. It's an extraordinary story of ordinary people making a massive impact who, for the most part of history, until the movie came out, remained unnamed. And today I want to take a closer look at someone who remains unnamed. They aren't in the Bible's Hall of Fame. You don't get their name in the pages of the Bible. They're not household names. And yet they have a powerful story that we can learn from and be inspired by. See, all throughout Scripture, God uses unnamed people. Scripture doesn't record their names, but they play significant roles, important roles in the lives of those around them and in the big picture story of God in their time. See, as followers of Jesus... We live to honor God, to serve God. We live for purpose. And this unnamed person can teach us valuable lessons that we can apply to our lives and our faith today. And so I want to get into that. In John chapter 4, we read in an account where Jesus has an interaction with an unnamed person, commonly known as the woman at the well. I want to give you a brief overview version of the story. I'll, I'll zoom right through it, but that's going to be the foundation for the rest that we're going to jump into today. So Jesus is traveling from a place called Judea to a place called Galilee, and he needed to stop in Samaria along the way. This in itself was quite unusual because it was culturally abnormal for Jews, which Jesus and his disciples were, to speak with and interact with Samaritans from Samaria. So there was almost certainly a more comfortable place that they could have stopped off on their journey, but for whatever reason, the Bible says that they had to stop there. It had been a long journey, and they're pretty tired, so they stop off in a town with, by a well. The town's called Sychar, and it's near the plot of land that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. And so they stop off at Jacob's well, and it's around noontime. 
The sun's beating down. They're tired. They're hungry. It's been a long journey. They finally arrive. And so the disciples decide, we're going to go off into town to collect some food while Jesus stays back at the well. Now, it isn't long before a woman comes to the well to draw water and she to draw water, and Jesus asks the woman for a drink. Sees this woman approach. He says, can I have a drink? And she's taken back. This is odd to her. This interesting encounter takes place where she's shocked that a Jewish guy is speaking to her. She's like, this is weird that you're even here. Why are you asking me for a drink? And Jesus responds. He says, oh, if you only knew the gift that God had for you and who it was you were speaking to, you would ask me for a drink and I would give you living water. Now, sounds good, but she doesn't understand. She's like, but you don't have a bucket. This, this well is really deep. So how or where would you possibly get this living water? And then she goes on to say, and besides, do you think you're better than our ancestor Jacob that gave us this well? And Jesus answers her, and he kind of indirectly answers that question with a, yeah, I kind of am. He says this. He says, anyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. You know the water you're talking about? It's all right, but you'd just be thirsty again. But the water that I give will leave you never thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Okay, if I were the woman and I heard a guy, firstly, he's a Jewish, he didn't even speaking to me, and he said something like that, I'd be like, you're out of your mind, crazy bucketless Jewish man. I'll be like, do you have heat stroke or something? Like, what makes you think you can get water that's better than the water that from the well that our ancestor Jacob gave us, and you don't even have a bucket? But yet she is so desperate. When Jesus says that, it's not computing, but she says, yes, give me some of that water. I want to never be thirsty again. You know what I realized that she said yes to Jesus when it didn't immediately make sense to her. And I wonder if there's a lesson in that for all of us today. The interesting interaction continues. Jesus goes on to say to the woman, hey, uh, go get your husband. She says, I don't have a husband. And Jesus essentially, in a roundabout way, says, yeah, I know. I just wanted to see if you were going to tell me the truth. In fact, you've had five husbands, and the man you're living with now isn't even your husband. Like, talk about awkward. I read that, I'm like, Jesus, chill. You just met the lady. Like, and you're calling her out. This woman's obviously taken back. How does this guy know this about me? She's thinking he's some kind of prophet. And so she goes on to say to Jesus, she's a bit confused. She says, okay, you're weird, but whatever. Like, the Messiah is going to come one day, and he's going to explain everything, and it's all going to make sense. And Jesus is like, ta-da, it's me. I'm the Messiah. And so the story says that the woman leaves her water jar at the well and she runs all the way back to the village to tell everyone about what had happened. And when she gets to the village, she says, come and see a man that told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging Jesus, Rabbi, eat something. But Jesus replied, I have a kind of food you know nothing about. I imagine Peter being like, I knew it. I knew I could smell corn chips in the desert. Jesus got sneaky snacks hiding up in there somewhere. After the woman shares the news in the village, it begins a bit of a stir. And everyone in the village runs back to the well to see this very Jesus that she's speaking of. Okay, that's the story. You got it? If you got it, say, I got it. Kind of. Okay. That's the streamlined version of the story, but there's so much in there for us. See, not only was this woman unnamed, she was a woman. She had had five husbands. And so she would have been so shunned by society. By every type of social standard, she would have been so, so low. And yet this is one of the most incredible encounters I read in the Bible. Theologian William Barclay, he said this. He says, there are two revelations in Christianity. The first revelation of God, and, and then secondly, the revelation of ourselves. We never really see ourselves until we see ourselves 
in the presence of Christ, and then we're appalled at the sight. There is another way of putting it. Christianity begins with a sense of sin. It begins with the sudden realization that life as we are living it will not do. We awake to ourselves and we awake to our need of God. See, you may not be cast out from society. You probably haven't churned through five different husbands, but all of us at, at some point find ourselves feeling a sense of shame. Shame over our mistakes, shame over our shortcomings, shame over what we've done or haven't done, shame that we simply don't measure up. And the problem with shame is that it corrupts and perverts the way that we look at ourselves. It distracts us away from the grace of God and it robs us away from living the life that God created for us. See, the example of this woman shows us that shame will disconnect us from community. Did you notice how the woman came to collect water at noontime when the sun was beating down? Nobody did that. That was weird. The woman would all go to collect water together in the morning when it was cooler. So the woman would go when it was cooler, but this woman decided, I can't go when those women go. I need to go at a different time. Maybe she felt like she didn't fit in. Maybe she felt too much shame. She was that woman. Maybe she felt like there's just no way I could go and collect woman, water with the other woman. She didn't fit into that place. Shame will cause us to become disconnected and isolated like that. And this is why this encounter with Jesus is so eye-opening for you and I. She's an unnamed woman but her response shows us what can happen when we have an encounter with Jesus. What happens when we have a moment in his presence? What happens when we humble ourselves before him? She had an encounter with Jesus. And I want to point out two really key things for the time that we've got left this morning to encourage you. And the first one is this, an encounter with Jesus disarms our sense of shame. An encounter with Jesus disarms our sense of shame. When Jesus says to the woman, Go and get your husband, which turns out to be a leading question. He kind of already knew the answer. He wasn't trying to heap shame on her. He was trying to help her see that God knew her, that Jesus saw her and knew her. They hadn't actually met, and yet God knew all the details of her life. This woman claimed, remember, that Jesus told her everything she ever did. That would take ages. You imagine someone telling you everything you ever did, and yet this unnamed woman says, Jesus told me everything I ever did, he has all the time in the world for her. How many people would have not had a, had a moment of time for a woman like that? And Jesus says, I'm going to take time and we're going to go through it and we're going to go patient and I'm going to use each of these moments as a teaching moment. His unbelievable grace has him offer her living water that bubbles up like a fresh spring within her. Even though he knows of her mess, the bubbling spring is a reference to brand new life and salvation. See, sometimes we think, man, if God knew about all my mess and all my muck and all my mistakes, He wouldn't want to come anywhere near me. God does know about all your mess, all your mistakes, all your mess up. And it's because of it that He wants to come near you. See, Jesus asked this woman, what's going on? And he's pleased to hear that she, she does tell him she's honest. She didn't realize it at the time, but as she humbled himself before this Jesus character, she was being raw, real, and honest with God himself. See, remember that the woman likely came to collect water at noontime because doing it at the usual time was too shameful to be around the others. But the craziest thing happens when she has an encounter with Jesus. She runs back to the village to tell as many people as possible the news. The same people she just felt unworthy to be around. What separated her? 
didn't matter anymore. What made her different no longer held her back. Time with Jesus squashed her shame and placed boldness and hope in her heart again. She was willing to go back to the place that she once previously felt shame. Not only had Jesus transformed her life, but she was so moved by the encounter that she wanted other people to meet that very same Jesus too. She ran back to community, even though it would have been so awkward for her to do it. And there are some people here today and you've allowed shame to disconnect you, but it's time to run back to community because shame will have you believe the lie that Jesus has cast you out. That's not true. It's not of God. Shame will have you believe the lie that He doesn't want you close to Him, that you're too far gone for transformation. But my Bible tells me in Romans 8 verse 1 2 that there is no longer any condemnation for those who are in Christ, Christ Jesus. It says, and because you belong to Him, the power of the life-giving Spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. Now, she didn't run back to the village proclaiming, I have found the Messiah. It wasn't about promoting herself or putting herself forward or projecting herself up. It wasn't about finding credit in her own experience, but it was her heart's desire that more people would just come and see Jesus for themselves. Now, she does reflect on her own condition, but only in an attempt to highlight the glorious grace of Christ. And I'll tell you, I've got to be honest, I've seen it hundreds of times before. Shame has stopped people turning up to their small group. Shame has stopped people turning up on a Sunday for church. Shame has stopped people coming forward at the end of the service for prayer. Shame has created disconnection in people's lives, but shame is not from God. Shame is the lie that you've messed up and there's no way back, but your way back is Jesus. Your way back is the grace of God. Your way back is an encounter with Him. And when you have it, shame will melt away from your life. And I want to prophesy over you this morning that the disconnection that has come about by any sense of shame in your life, it ends today. By the grace of God, you are worthy, you were chosen and you were seen and you belong. Today is small group sign up Sunday. If you haven't signed up to a small group, why? In the great words of Tali, Why? Like genuinely, oh, I'll do it another time. I'm busy. I know you're busy. We're all busy. But if you're too busy for genuine biblical community, you're too busy and something else needs to go. It is so important to be in a small group. See, the Bible says you can confess your sins to God and you'll be forgiven. Sure, when you confess your sins to one another, you find healing. There is so much power in doing life. See, it's amazing to come into a church like this, right? Changing the community, transforming the community. Great to be part of something big. But as we grow bigger, we must also grow smaller. We must be part of something where people know us by name. They know of our journey. They can pray for us in detail. They've got our back. You've got to be part of a small group. And if you're feeling a little disconnected, I want to suggest that maybe that's part of the reason because you're not yet in a small group. An encounter with God disarms our sense of shame. I believe it with all my heart. The second thing I notice is this. An encounter with Jesus creates a hunger for His presence. There's a really important detail in the story and I'm I'm not sure if you noticed it. It's actually in verse 28. And it says, The woman left her water jar by the well and ran back to the village telling everyone. You see, without that water jar, she couldn't transport water back to her family. Without that water jar, she was probably going the right way to being single again because she couldn't provide for her family like she was expected to. That water jar was part of her livelihood. So why did she leave it at the well when she ran back to the village? She had likely never in her life ever walked the return journey back home without her water jar in her hands or resting upon her head. 
Well, she probably thought she could run faster without it. That's probably true. She probably knew the message was so urgent, it was worthy to go as fast as possible. Sometimes sharing the gospel costs us something. But I think it's fair to assume that she left her water jar, that most valuable item to her, because she always knew she was coming back for it. I think it's clear to say that she left the jar because she was coming back. She had an encounter with the Messiah. It moved her to go and tell everyone about this Jesus that knew everything about her, but she always planned on going back and she knew it would be soon. And I think this is such a beautiful picture for us on how we appropriately respond to an encounter with God, to a moment in His presence. She had that time, but she birthed a hunger in her to return back to that place. You know, we shouldn't be living off yesterday's miracle. Yesterday's breakthrough, yesterday's healing. And I'm not saying you're going to see one of those every single day. When I say yesterday, I don't mean literally like Saturday just gone. But God is a living God that wants to do new, fresh things in our life. And we should be seeking that out and having faith to believe for that. The things that God has done in the past, amazing. Praise God for them. It stirs our faith. It reminds us of who He is. We believe if He did it then, He can do it now. But we were always meant to return back to Jesus regularly. In fact, I was having a chat with uh, one of the other lead pastors from one of our other campuses a little while ago. And we were saying how sad it is when sometimes we see someone come to church because they're desperate to find something. And they come to church and they're desperate to find something. They get that something and then they leave. It's like, man, I just, I need healing or I need a breakthrough or I need a good trusted friend. And then they come, they find that thing and then they believe the lie that they're good to go from then on out. They believe the lie that now that they've come and they've found community, they can go back out and be isolated again. You know, the God of the Bible is not a genie that gives us three wishes, right? That's not, that's not how he operates. It's not the same, but he's more like the everlasting gobstopper from the Wonka factory, right? Whose flavor and goodness never run out. He's the God that gave manna to the Israelites in heaven. It was like a bread-like substance and he gave it to them every day. That's important. He didn't say, here's your bulk order of six months worth. He said, I'm going to give it to you every day and it's going to run out. Why? He's teaching the people, come back daily, come back daily, return to me, come back to me for sustenance, come back to me for breakthrough, come back to me to find strength and healing and sustenance to go again. He's the God that wants to know you and have an encounter with you every day. See, the woman turned up to the well with her jar, expecting to fill it with water, take it back to her family. They would drink it and she would return every day. This was her usual custom. But I find it so fascinating that on this occasion, rather than taking back a filled jar with temporary sustenance, she goes back herself filled with living water and has a massive impact on her community. She shares the gospel in such a compelling way that those in the village are willing to look past her shame, right? Past the mess ups, past the muck ups, past the fact that they would usually not listen to a single word that woman had to say. And yet they come streaming back to the well from the village. You know what's true? That the gospel is so powerful that it's even effective when imperfect people share it. Oh, that's good news for you and I. That's good news that even in your mess and your muck and your shame, you can go back and you can share the gospel and God breathes life upon it. You oh, but I'm not like one, I'm not like Pastor Don and Pastor Haley. You're not, and that's a really good thing. You're like you. And you have a different area of influence, a different way, a different connection, a different perspective, different life journey that you can use to share the gospel with people around you. Being touched daily by the presence of God, it not only lifts your eyes a little higher and puts hope in your heart but it actually brings hope and shifts the perspective of those around you too. 
what does this look like for us practically? If we just be practical for a few moments. It means every Sunday, no matter how many sermons you've heard, I know some people here have heard more sermons than I've had hot dinners. I get it. It's amazing. Thank God for your continued commitment. Thank God for your faithfulness. But every Sunday, turn up believing that God wants to speak something fresh to you. Every Sunday, the the Word of God is alive. And if you're still breathing, there's still something fresh He wants to do. And so turn up every Sunday with an expectation that God wants you to experience more growth despite how many years you've been walking with the Lord. It means softening your heart to what God wants to do and humbling yourself before Him. Drop the pride and come forward for prayer at the end of the service. See, if you actually believe that God is on your side, position yourself for breakthrough. Oh, but then people are going to see me standing up the front. Yep, they're going to see someone relying on God. They're going to see someone pursuing God with all their heart. That's what they'll see when you come forward for prayer. You think the woman ran fast back to the village to tell everyone about the news? I bet she ran even faster on her way back to Jesus. I bet she ran even faster not only to get her water jar, but back to the man that told her everything that she ever did. It means getting into God's Word regularly. And when you come across a story that you've read heaps before, don't skim it. Guilty as charged. I do it. Challenge for myself. Don't skim the story. See, often we read, oh yeah, Jesus feeds the 5,000. I know everyone, everything there is to know about that one. Moses in the burning bush. Moses, Moses, take off your sandals. Read that one a thousand times. Don't read for stories. Read for revelation. It's not just a history book. It's alive and it's living and God is breathing upon it. It's time to not just be trying to fill our head with knowledge of the stories, but open your heart to what God is saying to you through them. This woman wasn't just interested in returning back to the well. She was returning back to Jesus and she knew it. Get this. She wasn't going back just to get her vessel. I believe she was going back to be one. She was going back to get another fresh touch from that Jesus, another fresh touch from that God, another fresh touch that allowed that woman to have boldness and hope restore her heart to run back to community and interact with the people she once felt too shame to be around. If you want to live an effective Christian life, which I hope that you do, where you know God intimately and you're effective in what He's called you to do, you have to keep running back to Jesus. Keys, you can join me. That would be amazing. When Jesus is telling this woman about this living water that He gives, remember He describes it this way. He says, it bubbles up like a spring within you that will satisfy you once and for all. He's not trying to save her a trip to the well. He's not telling her that. So she's like, oh, good. I don't have to come back and get water every day anymore. I've got this living water that lasts forever. That's not the point. He's trying to help the woman understand that he knew how many husbands she had had. He knew of the shame she had carried. Jesus knew of all the efforts she had gone to to try and satisfy her soul. He knew of that. And it's really easy to judge this woman as we hear of the story. But actually, many of us do the same sort of thing just in different ways, right? It might not be five husbands, but it's five toxic relationships back to back. It's the hours spent on social media comparing and feeling bad about the success or the looks or something of someone else. And we feel down on ourselves. It's that unrelenting effort and goal of making it big and earning the big bucks and impressing the manager and getting the job and getting your name on the door of the office corner suite. Jesus is desperate for the woman to know that day. And I believe He's desperate for us to know 
that while the things of this world, things like that may satisfy for a moment, like the water from that well, you will be thirsty again. But Jesus gives a water that leaves you never thirsty again. It's like a bubbling spring. It's fresh life. And when you've got it, you know it. It's long lasting. See, when you have a real encounter with Jesus and you invite Him into your life, you experience that overflowing love that He has for you. Man, that's what your soul has been thirsty for the whole time. It's never been thirsty for the superficial stuff. It's always been thirsty for Jesus. You know, that woman at the well, she's confronted in the most uncomfortable way. I mean, put yourself in her shoes, talk about awkward. She never wanted that. She just wanted to come and get some water and there she was. But her humble response changes her life and her eternity forever. She'd been living her whole life on her own terms, but when she realized that Jesus saw her and knew her, that He was the Messiah that was sent for her salvation, she's moved to go and tell everyone about this Jesus, but I'm convinced she predecided that she was always going back. She went out and she came back, back to the source of her encounter. One more time, I want to read for you what the theologian William Barclay said. He said, there are two revelations in Christianity the revelation of God and the revelation of ourselves. We never really see ourselves until we see ourselves in the presence of Christ and then we're appalled at the sight. There is another way of putting it. Christianity begins with a sense of sin. It begins with the sudden realization that life as we are living it will not do. We awake to ourselves and we awake to our need of God. The truth of this story is super relevant for two groups of people. Firstly, it's relevant for the people that would meet Jesus for the very first time. Like the woman at the well, you may have even found yourself in this room and you're like, I just, I don't really know why I came, but I didn't think it was for this. (laughs) It's this moment where you realize that God sees you and He knows you. And I get a sense there's some people in the room who say, I know God sees me. I know He can, I'm just not sure if He will. I want to say to you that God will in your life. He loves you dearly. And just like that woman at the well, she encountered something that was far better, far more, far deeper, far wider than she ever thought possible. And it changed her life in an eternity forever. There's those that meet Jesus for the first time. And then there's others. You met Jesus once. You ran back to the village, but you never returned. You were once with Jesus. You were once in His presence. You once heard His voice. But if you're to be honest, you ran back to the village, life got busy, and you never went back to get a fresh fill. I want to pray for both of those groups of people today. Those that would say, I I know the Lord, I've given my life to Him, but I do feel distant. I do feel dry. I need to be filled up again. It's time for me to run back to Jesus, back to the well, back to a place of encounter. I want to invite everyone just to close their eyes right where you're sitting. I'm first going to pray for that second group of people. The group that would say, I've given my life to the Lord before, but I'm feeling dry. I'm feeling distant. I ran back to community. Life got busy. Everything started happening. And then I sort of looked up and looked around and I realized, not sure where God is. I want to remind you that God is there. And I want to pray for a fresh touch of heaven upon your life right now. Not for later, but for right now. Father God, I thank you that you were alive, you were living, you're a sustaining, refreshing God. 
And just like you did for the Israelites in heaven where you gave mana every day, God, we call upon your name today. Holy Spirit, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would fill fresh every believer in the name of Jesus. Fill them fresh from head to toe. Restore hope, melt away shame. Give them a fresh vision for the life that you have for them. Restore them and refresh them as they run back to you. I pray, Lord, place a burning desire on their heart to get into the Word, to spend time in your presence, to not just rattle off a to-do list, but to sit in your presence and say, God, what is it that you would say to me today? And I pray, Lord, they would have the faith to be obedient to that. In Jesus' name, with every eye still closed and head bowed, I'm gonna pray one final prayer. It's for those in the room that like the woman in the well, you've never said yes to Jesus for the first time. Or maybe you're kind of like in the second group, but actually you feel so distant from God, you know you need to make a recommitment to Him today. The Bible says this, we've all sinned, we've all fallen short of the glory of God. What that means is in our own efforts, in our own attempts, we could never measure up and be good enough. It sounds like bad news, but the gospel is good news. And the gospel is that God sent His one and only Son to a cross to take upon a punishment on Himself so that you didn't have to. He took it upon Himself on the cross so that you could walk free today. And when you come to the Lord and you ask for forgiveness and you commit your life to Him, the Bible says the old is gone and the new has come. You get made a brand new creation and it's the greatest decision you could ever make. If that's you today and you know you need to get your life right with God, before I pray, I need to say this. You don't need to get it sorted before you pray. Get it. Get it right, pray the prayer, commit your life to the Lord and He will journey that with you. Let's pray, God. Pray this in your heart, I'll pray it out loud. Say, God, I need your grace. I need your forgiveness. I thank you that you love me and I thank you that you went to a cross for me. I ask you to forgive me of my sin and I thank you that you do. I choose to give you my whole life holding nothing back today. In Jesus' name. With every eye still closed and head bowed in just a moment, I'm gonna ask you to do something nice and brave. I won't embarrass you. I won't stand you up, but I want you to be brave. And in a moment, I'm gonna ask you to lift your hand nice and high. I'll see it, acknowledge it. You can put it straight back down. We would just so love to celebrate with you. I wanna know who I'm praying for this morning. If you prayed that prayer, you know you've been made brand new today. I want you to lift your hand nice and high in three, two, one, go now. Awesome, 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 awesome. Amazing, amazing. Bunch of hands around the room. Awesome, if you put your hand up, you can put it down again. Is there anyone else? You know that you prayed that prayer and you need to get your life right with God today. If there's anyone else and you didn't go first time, it's not too late, you can lift your hand right now. Come on, church, we're gonna pray and we're gonna celebrate brand new life. God, I thank you for your grace, that it is sufficient for us. And I thank you for every hand that was raised, that it was never about the hand, but a transformed heart. I thank you that sons and daughters have come home today and we celebrate and we rejoice with all of heaven. I pray over those people, Lord, that you would get the right people around them. God, bring them hope, give them vision for their life. And we thank you for them. We thank you for your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, church, let's celebrate those that prayed that prayer.